So, the other day, I heard some people complain about how millennials get participation trophies and things like that. And all the millennials get the blame for this. But really, what's the asshole generation that came up with the idea? This is Solving Problems and Starting New Ones. The show that tries to be an incubator of good ideas for today's problems, and my job is to get that ball rolling. Your job is to help fine-tune those ideas into something great. Today, we're going to talk about relationships, millennials, and the topic of the day is immigration. And we're going to do all this from a guy-on-the-street perspective. Right now, we're going to start things off by talking about relationships. So, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to write a book with your help. The book will be called 10 Laws of Relationships, Dating, and Other Things We Blindly Do. The idea is to come up with a certain moral boundaries in particularly difficult situations you may have put yourself in or find yourself in. The rules apply to both men and women. I'm going to present to you the first law. Your job is to help add nine more. And when we're done, I'll package the book and get it online. All profits will be donated to Worthy Cause after expenses. Feel free to message us uh, directly or post post suggestions on Twitter and the Facebook page. I present to you the first law to give you an idea of what the hell I'm talking about. I'm going to give you the following scenario and the law that will follow. Let's use the name... Names uh, Rick, Tom, and Jen. Rick and Tom are best friends. Rick and Jen have been dating for three years. Rick and Jen have just broken up. Jen and Tom, Tom's, that's Rick's best friend, have started talking and showing interest in each other without Rick's knowledge. The situation happens particularly in school, at the workplace, and in small communities. What should be the rules for Tom, Rick's friend? I propose the following rule and we are going to look at it from Tom's point of view. If Rick and Jen have been going out for three years, then Tom must wait an equal amount of time, in this case, three years. Jen is off the table for that time if Tom wants to maintain a friendship with Rick. After that time, if Rick has a problem, then it sounds like a Rick problem to me, not Tom's, not Jen's. Number two, if Tom does not want to wait that long, he simply has to have the courage to ask Rick if he is okay with this. If Rick says yes, then all is good. If Rick says no and it would bother him, then Tom should break off any further contact with Jen if he wants to maintain a friendship with Rick. Stipulation number one. If the relationship ended because Jen cheated or did something malicious to Rick, then Jen would be permanently off the table for Tom. Stipulation two. If the relationship ended because Rick cheated or did something malicious to Jen, then Jen would be immediately available. It's the karma rule. That is our first law, and hopefully there will be more to follow. Feel free to challenge it or present something better. You know where to go, and you know what to do. Okay, up next, let's help this millennial generation out. That's the generation born between 1980s to 2000. So that includes me. The complaints I hear the most about millennials is that they are lazy, impatient, and super sensitive. The complaints millennials have include college debt, lack of home ownership, and job satisfaction. So let's talk about laziness and impatience first. I view this generation as a generation without direction, through no fault of their own. With some form of purpose or reward, this group could get more accomplished than any other generation. There's over 80 million of us in the country. If only we had some leadership. Almost 40% of this group went to college and for the most part either held a full-time job or a part-time job, along with studying. This group doesn't sound lazy, they sound tired. As far as being impatient, we are living in an instant gratification environment, 
And for the most part, that's okay. We're navigating our way through this. But we need, to, we need a strong focus on patience when it comes to developing a skill set. It takes time. A lot of people in this generation expect great jobs to fall in their laps because everything else does. This also falls on a lack of leadership and education. Einstein once said, don't try to be a person of success, but become a person of value. We should all be trying to learn and absorb as much as possible to add value to our lives instead of wasting precious time watching cat videos on YouTube or listening to this podcast. It ain't going to get you far in life. Plus, the more you learn, the more likely you'll find something you're actually interested in, and maybe, with a little luck, something you're good at. Now, onto the notion of this group is super sensitive. It's tough for me to deny this. To safe spaces, to shutting down speakers on campuses, to banning books, to using words like trigger warning, there seems to be a problem. If words can offend you, then words can change you. That means anybody can change you. And lastly, anyone can control you. It's a character flaw, not a healthy way to live. So, okay, maybe you had a tough life and maybe things have gone tits up more times than you care to remember. But wishing things were different doesn't change the way things are. So you can cry. You can yell. You can blame someone else for your trouble. And that's fine. That's okay for a while. But at the end of it all, you and only you are left with one question. Where do I go from here? There are plenty of people in your life or books or thought leaders out there that can help. And you all have, that su- have supercomputers in your hands to help find them. We need to refocus our way of thinking. No more victims, only victory. When putting this together, college debt was the first thing on the minds of most millennials. To do this justice, I'll have to save it for another episode, as I have a lot to say on the matter. So lastly, we're going to look at home ownership, job satisfaction, and what the next move should be. I'm going to paint you a scenario. I'm going to use the state of Massachusetts as an example. Picture the state as a rectangle. Now cut it into thirds. Over two-thirds of the population live on one-third of the land. That would be the Boston area side. One-third of the population lives on two-thirds of the land. That would be Worcester in the middle and Springfield at the end. Take a guess which side has a housing crisis. Due to restriction, population, regulations, NIMBY laws, houses are pretty scarce and expensive in the Boston area. This is how it is in several states. I said earlier how this generation has no direction. Well, I have an answer. The direction is west in this scenario. There is a housing crisis in highly populated cities, but not in the majority of the country. We have a building crisis in America. We have to do what our grandparents and great-grandparents did and build something great. They're the ones that built the houses, the businesses from the ground up. And now it's our turn. And it doesn't matter where you are, Boston, L.A., New York City, they are done. We need to turn down the crumbs they have to offer. It's time to go. It's time to move. It's time to plan. It's time to come up with something better and learn from previous mistakes. Personally and historically, we always remember the mistakes of our past. But those memories aren't there to test you or upset you. They are there to remind you not to do that again. It is to be analyzed. So let's try and think about building something better. It's a big-ass country with room to grow between the coast. It's time to turn small towns into big towns, big towns into cities. It's time to build small businesses and turn them into big businesses. Amazon is the biggest business in America right now and started out in some guy's basement. It's time to make moves. If you can do it, do it. If you can't, work with people who can. You will find direction. You will find purpose. You will build community. You will become the leader that is missing. It's been done before, and it has to be done again. And it wasn't easy for them, and it won't be easy for us. But this generation needs to remember, you are not the last generation. There's another one right behind you, and they need you. Or you can stay right where you are, and you can cry, and you can yell, and you can blame someone else. 
and leave the next generation with the same question. Where do I go from here? All right, so our big topic of the day is we're going to solve immigration. But we need to go over the history of immigration first. In 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed across the... All right, I'll stop. So it took me a while to figure out how I wanted to start this. Do I go over the history or do I just jump into solutions? But I don't think I could do something so simple. I did a lot of research, made calls, sent emails to try and get the most accurate and best information to try and come up with the best solutions. What I did discover is, and I put it simply, what a mess. Financially, morally, politically, a mess. In fact, I have a clip from Kristen Nielsen, the former Secretary of Homeland Security. We can check that out. Hey, immigrants, beat it. Country's full. Okay, folks, you heard the lady. Back into the hold. We'll try Canada. That may have been the wrong clip. Anywho. This whole immigration problem, in my opinion, boils down to five issues that needs our attention and should be addressed. Number one, migrant families from Latin American countries. Number two, border security. That means we're going to talk about the wall. Ooh, Cartels, the courts, and lastly, number five, the 11 million or so illegal immigrants that are in the country. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read an article from New York Times that came out March 5th, 2019. And what I'm going to do is supply commentary and the best solutions I can come up with on these five subjects. Feel free to offer any out-of-the-box out of ideas of your own on the Twitter and the Facebook page. Okay, let's hop into it. The number of migrant families crossing the southwest border has once again broken records, with unauthorized entries nearly double what they were a year ago, suggesting that the President's administration's aggressive policies have not discouraged new migration to the United States. More than 76,000 migrants crossed the border without authorization in February, an 11-year high and a strong sign that stepped-up prosecutions, new controls on asylums, and harsher detention policies have not reversed what remains to be a powerful lure for thousands of people fleeing violence and poverty. So this brings us to two issues, migrant families from Latin American countries and problems in the court system. One thing we need to talk about is what has been referred to as catch-and-release. In a nutshell, it's a system where the Border Patrol will take asylum seekers, give them a court date, and release them into the country. The number I see the most is 40% never return. As of early March, there's close to 800,000 pending court cases. Most people believe this is what's driving up the number of border crosses. If you step one foot in the country, get caught, claim asylum, you are given a court date and released in the population, or into the population. This is obviously the first area that needs to be reformed. Now, I'm not heartless towards the plight of others, but there is a capacity of how many people can be helped at a time. Vice News wrote a while back that it is very tough to hire Border Patrol agents because you only have those who live close enough to the border to choose from. And from there, the ones that want to become law enforcement officers have a choice between working along the border or becoming police officers. So the pool of candidates for Border Patrol agents gets even smaller, limits resources and effort. In another part of the article we're reading, it talks about how last year 70 groups of 100 or more migrants showed up and turned themselves in in remote areas where the Border Patrol only has a handful of agents to help them. A year before that, only 13 groups of 100, and before that, just two. This country is simply not equipped to handle the numbers. You have to imagine how, how it must be to house and take care of, say, 300 migrants in a safe, secure, passionate way. 
Also, another problem would be border patrol agents is the uh, for the border patrol agents is the screening process. It may take up to six months just to get just to get hired, which is a long time to go without a job. And all this shows, especially when dealing with 2,200 new migrants a day, when you don't have the resources, it becomes almost impossible to help those who need medical attention, as we've seen with a young girl passing away in early December. The way we've been doing things is not sustainable. A solution for this would be to end the catch and release system and focus on other alternatives to help Latin Americans who are escaping violence and poverty. One way we could help is to look into purchasing products from Latin America and Mexico and give the support to those companies and countries so they can help build their economy and try and help diminish their poverty. As far as escaping violence, let's say there's a Guatemalan person who is targeted by that country. The only realistic thing to do is for that person to go to the first country that's safe for them. In this example, Mexico. If you are from Mexico and you're being targeted, then you should seek asylum in America as that seems to be a bit more practical. Along with this would be for America to continue to give money to Mexico to help the new asylum seekers. And I'll explain where some of that money can come from in a bit. Let's go back to the article, and I will summarize all the ideas and potential solutions at the end. The president has used the escalating numbers to justify his new plans. Instead of building a wall, has now decided to dig a moat filled with Legos and make Mexicans walk barefoot across. I might have been reading the wrong article. All right, let's talk about the wall, Ugly. and border security. Okay, before I say what I'm going to say, let's address some basic common sense we should all have. If you need surgery, you go to a surgeon. If you need a mean steak and cheese, you can come to me. If you need to know the best way to secure the border, you go to the Border Patrol agents who work there. So going by the general consensus, and NPR does a good job on a piece called Border Patrol Professionals, weigh in on what's needed, and it appears to be a wall or some kind of unclimbable structure in selected areas will give the Border Patrol, border patrol agents about 90% control of the border. It will also create choke points, if you will, that will navigate any migrants to safer entry points so they're not getting severely ill or dying from trying to get to unprotected, unsafe areas. Also, there needs to be money spent on entry points where it's believed most of the illegal guns and drugs are traveling through, including building towers, drones, and R&D on developing the best technology to find any illegal drugs that try and make their way across the border. And we'll get to how all that can be paid for in a bit. Now, I know for some of you suggesting a wall should be built is a bad thing, or I heard someone say it's immoral. To that I say you're letting your political feelings get in the way of rationality. I completely refuse to base the best options or my opinion just by listening to either a lifelong politician or a real estate mogul, and you should too. All right, we're going to skip down a little bit on this piece. The difference is the nature of immigration has changed, and the demographics for those arriving now are proving more taxing for border officials to accommodate. Most of those entering the country in earlier years were single men, most from Mexico, coming to look for work. If they were arrested, they could quickly be deported. Now the majority of border crosses are not single men, but families. Fathers from Honduras, mothers from Guatemala who have lost their farms due to drought. While they may not have a good case to remain in the United States permanently, it is not so easy to speedily deport them as they arrive with children and claim protection under asylum laws. Often arriving exhausted, dehydrated, and some of them requiring urgent medical care, the families need food, diapers, infant formula, and space to play. They can often spend days inside of cramped, concrete cells that are built to house the previous generation of border crossers, young single men who would likely only be there for a few hours. 
The authorities believe that the large number of families are coming across because smugglers have effectively communicated across Central America that the adults who travel with children will be allowed to enter and stay in the United States. Let's stop right there for a sec. So this brings us to the smugglers and the cartels. Let's break this down to two categories, guns and drugs. Now, I try my best to present to you information that at times gets overlooked, but I feel is vital. For example, typically when you hear about illegal firearms crossing the border, not all, but some would assume it's from the Mexican border to the American side. But that's a little bit of misinformation. The cartels in America are actually sending guns across the border into Mexico, which is helping to escalate the violence in Mexico and Latin America. 70% of the homicides in Mexico are through gun violence, even though Mexico only has one gun store. A report from the University of San Diego in 2013 estimated that 253,000 guns are purchased in the U.S. for the express purpose of being sent to Mexico. From there, it's into the cartels, then on to the gangs in Latin America, where it's been reported that one-third of all the homicides or murders in the world takes place where only 8% of the world's population lives. That will probably come up again if we talk about uh, gun laws in a later episode. Potentially this season. Moving on to the drugs. It's believed that drug cartels make at least $10 billion in profits a year. That puts them in the top five most profitable comp companies in the United States. In 2017, the United Nations of Drug and Crime puts America at number one when it comes to cocaine use consuming 37% of the world's cocaine supply. So we're number one in military, number one in cocaine, and we're number one in death by lawnmowers. So we got some work to do, as we are the largest consumers of all illegal drugs in the world. So how do we stop the drug cartels? Well, tightening up our borders would be the first move, as it would reroute operations. Between the guns and the drugs, I could easily make a case that a wall should be built to protect them from us and not the other way around. After that, well, maybe we need to stop doing so much drugs in this country. After all, our drug use is what funds the cartels, which funds the gangs, which leads to the violence and the death, which forces people to migrate to the border where families are getting separated, and let's not forget the child prostitution that takes place in Latin America. That falls on our ability as individuals to take zero accountability for our actions. Maybe we the, we, the people, need to think about the responsibility for ourselves and the community. And maybe we need to let people know that what they're doing isn't something that doesn't cause any harm, as some would believe, or only causes harm to themselves, as others believe. No, I say we let the truth have its day in the sun. Maybe it's time to smarten people up that not only are they causing harm to themselves financially and physically, and also that they're not just helping destroy families. No, the drug-consuming American people are helping with the destruction of continents of families. So if you really care about migrant, fam migrant families, maybe it's time we start looking in the mirror instead of doing lines off it. With that being said, I'm well aware of how doctors have basically, basically become legalized drug dealers, so there's some room to let people off the hook, and we'll deal with that potentially this season when we cover the opioid crisis. Maybe. But for the rest of you who may be involved in using illegal drugs, and I'm not talking about marijuana, that shit should be legal. My intent isn't to make you feel bad or to be a dick. It's to get our brains thinking in the right direction. This is all part of the war of ideas. I am also well aware the last couple of decades we have been without leadership to direct this generation, which is leading us to chaos. So again, my intent isn't to make anyone feel bad, but to get ideas going in the right direction. And if I have to be blunt, so be it. 
So the real question is, what do we do about the drug crisis in America? Well, we'll have to deal with that potentially later in the season when we cover the war on drugs. Back to the other question. What do we do about the cartels besides stronger border security and making getting ourselves clean? How about having immigration, custom enforcement, aka ICE, focus on the cartels and less on the illegals just trying to make a living, whether it's on farms or in restaurants or what have you? Okay, let's shoot down to the last three paragraphs, almost at the end, folks. The throngs of new families are also affecting communities on the American side of the border. In El Paso, a volunteer network that temporarily houses the migrants after they are released from custody has had to expand to 20 facilities, compared with only three same time last year. Migrants are now being housed in churches, a converted nursing home, and about 125 hotel rooms that are being paid for by donations. We have never seen these kinds of numbers, said Ruben Garcia, the director of the organization. He said that during one week in February, immigration authorities had released more than 3,600 migrants to his organization. That's the highest number in any single week since the group's founding in the 1970s. For the most part, Mr. Garcia said, that his staff and volunteer workers have been able to keep up with the search, often making frantic calls to churches to request access to more space for housing families on short notice. But sometimes their best efforts were upended, he said, including one day last week when the authorities dropped off 150 more migrants than planned. We just didn't have the space, Mr. Garcia said. It's sad stuff, and it's a mess. And this leaves us with our fifth and final problem. What do we do with 11 million illegal immigrants currently living in America? How about amnesty? It would solve one problem, but it would start new ones. This has been talked about before in 2008. It was crushed because no one wants to reward people who have broken the law. Good point. If you want to come into America, the first thing you should do is not break the law. Another argument is, if amnesty is announced, there would be a rush at the border. Also, someone brought up, what do you do with 11 million new people collecting on Social Security, which is already trillions in debt? All good points. So, now we have to solve that before we can get to amnesty. Well, as far as Social Security, you probably have to move the retirement age to 70, maybe 72 for the newly made uh, legal immigrants. To be perfectly honest, Social Security will either be gone, replaced, or privatized, or changed in some way in the next 10 years. So, I think it's, that's the best I'm going to come up with. We'll cover that more potentially later in the season when we do a Social Security episode. As far as the rush at the border, I propose a cutoff date, for example, of the last day of 2018. I would say there would need to be proof such as a pay stub or letters of recommendation to prove that you've been in the country at the designated time. That would avoid any chance of fraud and to also help prevent a rush at the border. Lastly, it's true, you cannot reward people who have broken the law. Agreed. So. How about they pay a fine? Assuming that 10 million undocumented people step forward, step out of the shadows rather, and pay a fine of say $3,000, and given the proper amount of time to pay it. That would be $50 billion to fund the border, new technologies, pay some money to Mexico to help their new asylum seekers, afford more judges for the 800,000 pending court cases, and it also frees up ICE to combat the cartels in the country as previously mentioned. Obvious, obviously, if a person looking for amnesty has a rap sheet as long as my arm, he or she may not be granted the ability to stay. For those of you who are against the idea of amnesty, I would say we've done plenty of damage to the countries south of the border, as I pointed out earlier, and among other things not mentioned that we were involved in. I feel this is the best way to go about making some sort of amends. You also got to understand most illegal immigrants are part of society and have been for a long time. 
If undocumented workers had labor protections, they would be able to pursue work that matches their skill set, which lends itself to making more money, which means more purchasing, more production, more job hiring. You get the idea. So to recap, end catch and release through the courts, add more judges to help expedite the asylum seekers, build a wall-like structure or moat and uh, other reasonable things for border security, work with Mexico to help the migrants, do what we can to help build Mexico and Latin America's economy, and if anybody has any ideas on how to do that, I'd love to hear it, and amnesty will pay for most. That's all I got. Just a quick side note. What's the deal with America waiting until we're 100 miles past reasonable solutions before we even start thinking of ideas? 11 million illegal immigrants, and now we're going to try and figure out what to do. A $22 trillion deficit. You'd think after the first trillion, we would have said, hey, I think we got a problem. As far as climate change, I just read a study about even if you eliminated all the cars, cows, and all the industries that pollute in America, it would do next to nothing to fix climate change. We're a little screwed. But all is not lost. That's why we have this show. And together, we're going to solve the shit out of everything. Or, which is more likely, we're going to die trying. So, I wasn't sure what the big topic I was going to cover for this final pilot episode was until I heard a clip on another podcast, which we'll play after we wrap this up. Once I heard it, I knew I wanted to take on the issue. So, this concludes our three-part pilot episodes. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun putting it together. Reach out to us on the Twitter, on the Facebook, hit the subscribe button, and let us know what you, what you like and what you don't like, and what you'd like for us to cover in the future. And if you want to hang out at the studio and get a few things off your chest, feel free to drop me a message and we'll try and get that done. All right, here's the deal. If we hit 100 subscribers or 100 followers on Twitter or 100 likes on Facebook, we will return with episode 4. So that means, by my estimates, we will return sometime in 2056 where I assume we'll be covering flying cars, jetpacks, and our big topic will be, is the pill to cure all diseases too big? Thanks for listening. This was Solving Problems and some New Ones. Adios. Just to take this to the next level, uh, Commissioner, I want to I wanna talk about one of your constituents. Um, what really shocked me uh, there, there's this woman, Carrie Wade, who wrote a Facebook po- post a few days ago, and you uh, clued me into the fact that this is one of your constituents living in the county. And I don't want to give away exactly where she lives, but what's shocking is, um, before I read this to our listeners, she is not right at the border. She is, you know, farther north. Uh, so this That's is correct. deeper into territory, and she still says, you know, she was responding to people saying, "Where's the fire? What's the emergency? What's the big deal?" And she was saying, the fire is finding dead bodies on your ranch. The fire is finding domestic pig ears in your drinkers when there isn't a domestic pig for 25 miles. The fire is waking up to unknown people talking in your attic. The fire is dogs barking all night when your closest neighbor is 7 to 25 miles, depending on the direction, to just uh, realize there are people outside in your barn. The fire is having to come home after dark and have to carry a rifle to go feed your livestock after Border Patrol tell you that only – that they only caught nine of the 15 they were looking for. The fire is making a 
choice. Do I take my child with me to a dark barn to feed and hold the flashlight or lock him in the house? So you lock him in the house and call a friend to let them know he's home alone. And if they don't hear back from me to come check on us, the fire is you don't feel comfortable letting your child play outside without being an eye shot of them. The fire is having large drug busts on your ranch. The fire is feeling sick to your stomach every time the helicopter swirls your house because you know they are chasing people because you could hear them on the speaker talking to them. The fire is seeing the Border Patrol camera set up a half a mile from your house. The fire is coming home after dark. Your children are driving in front of you as one of as one is of age to drive, and there are officers on your road watching illegals a quarter mile from your house, and you have to call your children and tell them to keep driving. Don't stop the house. The fire is coming home to your back door wide open. The fire is real for me, my family, and my community. Wow. Um, again, isn't that 40, 50 miles into the county <laughs> that she's saying that? It sure is.